My name is Kelsey, and I'm so happy to be back home at Lake Avenue Church. Our scripture reading today is found in Acts chapter 15, verses 1 through 14 and 28 through 29. Let us stand for the reading of God's word. Some men came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they declared all that God had done with them. But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees, rose up and said, It is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter, and after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither your fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe that, it, that we will be saved through grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, just as they will. And all the assembly fell silent, and they listened to Barnabas and Paul as they related what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. And after they finished speaking, James replied, Brothers, listen to me. Simeon has related how God first visited the Gentiles, to take from them a people for his name. The judgment about this matter was delivered from Pastor James and the Jerusalem Council to the churches and is found in verses 28 through 29. It has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements, that you abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what has been strangled and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from these, you will do well. Farewell. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Kelsey, you forgot to say your last name. What is that last name? Same as yours. Oh, the same as mine. so great to have Kelsey and Brandon who played and sang with her, my son, here. Uh, that song, Kelsey, was, um, you're, you're heading out, I know, you've been here three times already. Um, last time I heard it was at, at your wedding. I was there, just to let you know. <laughs> All right. <laughs> you wondered why I was so happy today, didn't you? Um, apart from what happened in Acts 15, the story that Kelsey just read to us, apart from what happened that day in Jerusalem, 
Uh, we would not have a church like this in Pasadena right now. In fact, uh, the church all around the world would be very, very different. And by different, I don't mean it would be better. <laughs> what I mean is this, and for those of you who are newer to a church, you, you need to know this about the church. One of the most amazing things about the church of Jesus Christ, I mean the church that follows the Bible and that follows Jesus as Lord, one of the most amazing things is that on one side it has remained constant in a few central things. But in non-essential things, it has been incredibly adaptable. And because of that, the good news of Jesus has been able to break forth, and that's the series that I'm calling this, break forth into all sorts of people groups and all sorts of cultures all over the world. So I'll, I'll just tell you, if you and I visit a, a church in a very different culture, some place in the world, you'll see some things that are so different from what you experience here in Southern California and here with us. Uh, yeah, the, the kind of building, if there is a building in which they meet, will be very different. The way people dress will be very different. The kind of songs we sing will be very different. I mean, there'll be, those things will be so different, but a few things will be absolutely the same. Now, now how did that come about? Today we are going to look at, it's one that I find for the church, one of the most important chapters in the entire Bible. I've almost never heard a sermon on it. There should be. It's, it's because it's very complex. You'll find that out. So I hope you're just great listeners. But we are going to look at a meeting that took place among our brothers and sisters, church leaders, centuries ago, that laid the foundation so that we could have a church made up of very, very different kinds of people. Now, here's the point I want to make. I've written it for you so you can see it. What has made the church of Jesus Christ so focused on essential things, but so flexible about others, was established in the midst of conflict. Do you get that? I dare say that the core issues that hold us together with believers all over the world were nailed down because of conflict. That God uses sometimes those awkward times that we'd rather not have happen in our lives. Now, we don't always view conflict that way, do we? Um, Chris and I have a little dog. Uh, it's a Shetland sheepdog. I have a picture so you can see it. Uh, this is Baxter. Uh, Baxter's a great dog. But sometimes when another big dog comes in and is a, a bit aggressive, or, or when we, uh, Baxter knows we're, we're going to take him to the vet that he doesn't like to go to, or if we're having to discipline him, what he does is he turns away and just stares into the corner. It, it's as if, if I don't see it, it it's not there. If, if, I don't think, if I don't see the conflict, it's not going to exist. And isn't that the way we so often deal with these things? Sometimes we just think, I hope it'll go away. We try to ignore it, and yet it, it doesn't go away. The thing I want you to see today is that the church leaders in, in, in great wisdom did not turn away and stare into the corner, but brought it all to God. And, 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 a, and a conflict that could have absolutely divided them was something that God used to do something absolutely marvelous. So, this message will have a lot to say about a church like ours. I'm sure you realize this. But, what I've focused on today, because we could have talked about so many things, is something that I believe will have relevance to you uh, with any relationship you have. So if you're finding some times of conflict uh, in a friendship or, or in a marriage or in a family or at work, wherever you find it, I think the way that our brothers and sisters walk through this teach us a lot about how to handle conflict in a way that good comes out of it. So let's take a few moments and think about it. 
You heard Kelsey read the story. It's called the Jerusalem Council. Let me explain to you what was going on. Um, When God created the world, everything was perfect. But in Genesis chapter 3, people walked away from God, disobeyed him. And immediately, relationships were broken. Our relationship with God was broken. And then their relationship and their marriage was broken. And from everything was broken. But God loves this broken world. And he loves people, broken people in it, like us. And and God began a plan to bring things back together. It was going to bring us back to him. And this is what he did. You read through the Old Testament. And as you summarize it, he was going to choose one people group, the people of Israel, and keep them distinct from everybody else and promise that through the people of Israel, there would come a savior, a rescuer, a messiah who then would bring blessing not just to the Jewish people, but to all people who would believe in him and follow him. Now, to keep the people of Israel distinct, one of the things God did was he instituted a whole series of laws. There are 613 of them in the Torah, in the first five books of Moses. It all started with circumcision. Males had to be circumcised, the sign that they were a part of the people of God. But many of the laws that were there were given specifically so that the people of Israel would remain distinct from the other nations so that through them a Messiah would come. So that means that up until the Messiah came, who is Jesus, until he came, almost all the people who were in the people of God were people of Israel. Other people could come in, but they had to convert to Judaism and they had to adopt Jewish culture. Men had to be circumcised. They had to keep, and you can see that all the food laws, what you could and could not eat, uh, what, how you could dress and how you should not dress. Uh, just so many, what you could touch, what you could, many, many, many different laws. So they could come in, but so almost all were Jewish. So then, Jesus came, died on the cross for the sins of the world, rose again, defeated sin and death. And in Acts chapter 2, uh, the message of the good news of Jesus was proclaimed to a, a large Jewish audience, and many believed in Jesus, and the Holy Spirit came on them, and it was known through tongues of fire that were there. But still, all the way up through Acts 7, almost all the people in the church were Jewish believers. And they still were trying to keep the law. And then in Acts 8, something happened. A group called the Samaritans. Now, they were part Jewish and part not Jewish, and there was conflict. But in Acts chapter 8, they, they heard the good news of Jesus. They believed, and amazingly, the Spirit of God fell on them too. They're in the people of God. So then you had Jewish people and partly Jewish people, in the people of God through faith in Jesus. But then in Acts chapter 11, oh man, the the real shocker happens. I know you you know, because most of us are not Jewish people, we're not shocked by this, but it was a shock back then. Uh, The Apostle Peter, Jewish man, got a, a dream from God that he had to go and visit a Gentile home and actually eat with Gentiles. Now, that's not a big deal to you, but that was a really big deal to him. He had to have three dreams to get him to do it. Kind of like Tevya in Fiddler on the Roof. Do <laughs> you ever see? You've got to go do the three dreams he had to happen, have happen so, so that he would actually do it. And, and he, he told the message to Cornelius, a Gentile man, and the family. They believed in Jesus. And the Spirit of God came on them. God came to dwell within them. They are in the family of God too. Jewish person, Samaritan, Gentile, all through faith in Jesus. Hallelujah. Now, between Acts 11 and the story that Kelsey read to us in Jerusalem, the, the message of Jesus was making its way to many Gentile communities. And in great numbers, people were believing on Jesus. It was a thrilling time. But the main people bringing the message, Paul and Barnabas, did not force 
the believers to become culturally Jewish. They weren't forcing them to be circum- the men to be circumcised and for people to keep all of these laws. Now, all right, you know human nature. Can you imagine how that was back in the, the Jewish church back in Jerusalem? What? We've been having to keep all these rules and they're not doing it? How, how can you say they're the people of God and they're not obeying all the laws of God? And, and, and did you notice that it said it wasn't a small dispute that arose among them? So you have chapter 15, I'll read verse 1. Certain people came down from Judea to Antioch, verse 1, and were teaching the believers, hey, unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you can't be saved. Uh, this phrase, this brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. Can you imagine what that meant? This is a strong conflict and disagreement among them. Um, if, if, if our Christian faith had been kept culturally Jewish, it would never have made it all the way here to Pasadena. God, God had something else that he wanted to do. And today we're going to just look at that. So as we think about the conflict in which God did this great work of laying a foundation, I want us to think about how we look at conflict. I want to think about what they did in the midst of conflict. And I want to show you what holds people together when sometimes the conflict comes. So, so, so let's think about how we view it. I call it the nature, the norm of, of occasional conflict. Because I think that if you read through this whole story, sometimes church-going people might be a bit shocked by the fact that here, here are people uh, following God's word, obeying God, seeing the blessing of God come upon them, and still at the same time, there's conflict that happens. I mean, big time conflict. Because sometimes we get this Pollyannish kind of way of thinking that if I show up at church and I do everything right, I won't have any more difficulty. Then we come to Jesus and we're walking with Jesus and find out sometimes when we live for Jesus, the light clashes with the darkness. Sometimes doesn't it feel like the conflict gets to be greater? Our faith in Jesus and obedience to Jesus sometimes makes it so that people around us hold themselves at a distance from us. And sometimes Christians are just shocked and they say, what's happening? Am I not doing it right? So let's think about that. There are many things that can lead to conflict. Sometimes it's distrust. Sometimes it's breaches of trust. Many times, like here, it's just change. It's often very hard for us to handle change. So, so, so how do we view conflict when it happens within a Christian family or a marriage or in a Christian church like it happened back then? And one of the things I want you to see is that we should never be shocked by it. Um, before I came here to Lake Avenue Church as pastor, you know, as the president of a university, and it was a Christian university, and yet we kept having times of conflict anyway. And, and one of the people that I walked through this was the dean of our divinity school, Trinity Evangelical Divinity School. His name's Dr. Tietz Tienu. He's from French-speaking West Africa. And he just had this amazing ability in difficult times to just boil things down and just use a statement that just has lived on in my mind. And there are three quotes I want to give you that I think of so often when I feel conflict happening in my settings and among us. And I think maybe they'll be helpful to you. And I think they're so consistent with what we find happened back in Acts 15. So, so here they are. The, the first statement, whenever we would have a time of conflict, would be this. Why are you surprised? Uh, the first time I remember him saying this 
was that we were really trying to keep health care costs down. See, I used to have to do that sort of things, the benefits package and, and all that, and it was really hard to do it. And I met with people, and we went over the different plans and listened, and we had to, finally we had to make a decision. So I thought, okay, they've been prepared for this. I went before our staff and our faculty and, and I said, this is what we've had to do. And I'll tell you, the uproar was unimaginable. It just seemed to me absolutely unkind. I, I was so discouraged by it. So I went walking out and that's when Dr. Tianu said, uh, Mr. President, why are you surprised? This is the way we are, including you. Uh, and the whole point is this. Uh, God has promised that someday he's going to make all things right. The relationships that are broken someday are going to be fully healed. Hallelujah. Read about Revelation 21 and 22. But it hasn't arrived yet. Have you noticed that heaven hasn't arrived even here in Pasadena yet? Anybody notice that? It hasn't happened in our church yet either. It hasn't happened fully in any one of our lives. We are still people very much in process. I mean, how do you view the world do you think forces of evil aren't at work? Do you think the systems and values that divide people in our world are, uh, no longer affect us? Do you think our own individual selfishness doesn't separate us from one another? Do you think the evil one is not at work? I mean, what is your world view? So, so whenever times of conflict come, we shouldn't be blown away by them. We need to pull back objectively and be able to say, and I think his quote is so good, why, why are you surprised? This is the way we are. But the second quote also was helpful to me. And, and, and here's what he would, would say when we'd have a really hard time. This is the best meeting that you ever had. Now, I, I'll tell you, um, this first time that I remember him saying this was in one of the most difficult meetings I've ever been in. I've told you the story about it. We had a major racial incident on our campus that really made it very, very difficult. And at the end of this incident, uh, I had a meeting with all of our most students of color, students from other countries, faculty members and staff members uh, of color, mostly minority, because our, our, our student body up to that time, it was growing with uh, people who fell outside of sort of the white Caucasian community. Most, so the history had been most of the students and faculty had come from suburban, rural communities, and now there are many different kind of people in the, uh, in the community. After this incident came up and I had a meeting with them, many of the things that people had been experiencing for a long time in that community that had been kind of kept under the, under the surface, that had always been there and been a problem, came out. It's almost like there's an infection that's here. You've got to get that stuff out or you'll never deal with it. It, it. it came out and I found out how, as they began saying, with great emotion and sometimes tremendous anger that I felt sometimes was toward me, great emotion saying, don't you know what we experience here? It's as if we're not even here. People don't notice us. They disrespect us. They fear us. All these things came. I was just beaten down. I was discouraged again. So Dr. Tiano and I went walking up. My, I'm sure my shoulders were slumped out the room. And I said, Teet... That's the worst meeting I've ever been in. And he said, Mr. President, someday I think you will see it was the best meeting you've ever been in. And the reason is, and I've written the lesson that I think we need to learn, the conflict forces us to clarify what has to be clarified. It, it often brings to the surface what we hope will, 
will just go away. I mean, we're too much like Baxter. We want to turn around and hope it'll be gone. But sometimes that stuff that's the problem has to come into the light so that we can deal with it directly. And then we can begin to remember as they remembered, as they decided they were going to deal with it, that God is greater than conflict. I mean, I don't know what you might be going through right now in your life, but the conflict you face can't be much greater than what they would have experienced after centuries and centuries and centuries of being one way and now another. How are they ever going to bring this thing together? Uh, God is greater than conflict. And sometimes when the conflict comes, it is almost a gift from God to be able to take those things that are simmering and bubbling down and destroying our relationships and bring them to the surface so we can deal with them. Which brings me to the third quote. And that is, and I use it so often, even now, it's straight out of the Old Testament. Uh, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Um, this came about when um, we were meeting with a group of our donors. And they knew that we had just made, uh, decided that we were going to change the academic calendar. We, we have some people in education here. Do you know how hard that is? Uh, and everybody's going to have to change how long their courses would be and maybe uh, putting together different courses. It was, and one of the donors who is an educator herself turned to Dr. Tianu and said, um, Dr. Tianu, I, I don't think many of the people here in, in the university are going to be happy with this decision. How are you going to handle that? And he just looked at her and he said, the beginning, the, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That's about all I have to say about that question. That, that's what he said. In other words, if, if you and I only make decisions when there are difficult things ahead of us to try to please everybody, uh, we'll be ripped apart. But what we have to do is to fear only one person, displeasing God. When, when we fear the Lord and want to make sure we please Him, then we'll treat people well. We'll respect people well. We'll listen to people well. But at the end of the day when the decision is made, there's only one person we have to please, and that is God. There's only one thing we have to fear, and that is displeasing God. And that's what happened with the council. They came and they sought the Lord together. And once they had heard from Him, they followed it. So this is what I want to tell you. If you're having a time of conflict in your life, don't be as discouraged and frustrated as I was. God is still God. God is still sovereign. Uh, this world is not yet a perfect world. Someday it will be. But until we get there, God will use everything that's happening. And if you're in a tough time right now, submit that thing to the Lord and see what He might do and see how He might lead you. That's how we view times of conflict as followers of Jesus in this imperfect world. All right, I better get on. That could have been a whole sermon there, right? What did they do? I can almost say, how, how, but I'm in this thing. What did they do? Now, now here I have to tell you. Uh, I think the reason why nobody ever preaches on this text, which I've never heard a sermon about it before, uh, is because of the theological complexities. The relationship of Israel to the church, uh, of grace to law, all these things. So today I've just decided to do one part of this, and we'll come back to some of those issues someday. But here I want you to see simply how our brothers and sisters dealt with conflict because I think it will speak to where you are in your life. At least the first three points I think will speak to almost every kind of conflict that you have. What did they do? Number one, they took the conflict seriously. They didn't ignore it. They addressed it quickly. So you read in chapter 15, verse 3, that when this thing arose, Paul and Barnabas dropped everything and took a long trip to get down to Jerusalem. Now just think of these were busy men. They were experiencing marvelous things from God. Churches were growing. Brand new believers. 
So their teaching ministry, their counseling ministry, putting the, the leadership together in the churches must have been enormous uh, tasks that they had. I can almost hear them say, oh man, we've got to go for all those old, conservative, sticky people back there in, in Jerusalem. I'm too busy for that. God, that isn't that important. And yet they saw that it was important. That, it, that it's through the unity of God's family that we declare the glory of God. How will people know that we're followers of Jesus? It's by the love that we have for one another. And when the church is divided, it destroys the credibility of the witness to Jesus. Do you see? They knew that. So when that conflict was there that could have divided them, they took it seriously and they addressed it quickly. And in this, brothers and sisters, I just want to tell you, sometimes we think that if we just ignore it, time will heal the conflict. Time rarely heals conflicts. I so often have thought, I'm going to wait, let the emotion die down. About five years later, I come back. Um, and what has happened is it's festered. And the two parties have walked farther and farther away from one another. And, and it's even harder to bring it back together. When it is there, I think we need to learn from them. Take it seriously. Address it quickly. Second, they came together in one place so that they could see with one another and be with one another. In verses 6 through 21, of Acts 15, we read about all the major parties coming. You had the very conservative Pharisees who were upset about the fact that the Gentiles weren't obeying the laws. You had a, a conservative Jewish leader, the Apostle Peter, who had already seen Gentiles come to faith in Jesus and receive the Holy Spirit, but he had a hard time not uh, giving up those laws. He had a hard time even eating with other Gentile believers. You can read about that in the book of Galatians. The Apostle Paul had to confront him on this thing. So he was one who was struggling with it, you see. Uh, you also had the ones that they would have considered the progressives, the liberals. Paul and Barnabas, the ones who were out there just preaching the gospel uh, to the, and, and seeing God do all these things. And then you had Pastor James, who was the head of that Jerusalem church, listening. And so they came together in one place. And in this, I just want to, want to tell you, it's one of the most important parts when you have a conflict. Don't deal with conflict in an impersonal way. Um, do you hear all the stories about couples that are engaged? And sometimes they'll break up the engagement by sending a text or, or posting something on Facebook. It's a growing phenomenon. Are, are any of you shocked by that? It doesn't work very well. I, I, I'll just tell you that. And it can happen in other ways for, for people who don't communicate that way. Uh, once again, I'll take you back into the academy. Um, we had some faculty members. They were godly people. I mean, great faculty members. But they, because they weren't perfect yet, got into a dispute. And so what they started doing was sending one another emails. All the things I don't like about you, send. <laughs> All the things I don't like about you, send. All, and they were eloquent. I just want you to know. They were eloquent. And it went back and forth until finally, finally people said, Greg, or whatever they called him, you've got to go deal with this thing. And uh, th their offices were right next to one another. <laughs> they, they wouldn't even walk right next door to, to deal with it. In this, I want you to know that, that email and, and, and text and any other ways that we communicate are, are, are very bad ways to deal with conflict. Uh, I had to have an edict to say no more bad news by email. Uh, email or an impersonal things are good things to give thanks and to give praise and to encourage, but not to deal with disputes. 
so what they did is something that I just have to think we have to learn as hard as it is. Uh, uh, Pastor James got them all together in one room. I just think about the emotion that it must have been in that place. And yet they weren't going to leave until they got the thing dealt with because they were going to bring glory to God. Number three, then they had to listen, actually listen to one another. They even had to listen to people that they disagreed with, people that they had uh, different perspectives from. So you can read about it. Verse 6, first the group with complaints were heard, and it says the debate went on a long time. Then the apostle Peter got up, the respected one, verses 7 through 11, and told what he had experienced. I simply told them about the Jesus who has saved our lives, and they believed. And then God gave them the Spirit. The Spirit of God dwells within them. And then it was time for Paul and Barnabas to get up and tell about the miracles of God that they were experiencing because of proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. And only then did Pastor James, uh, sort of the elder, put it all together and say, brothers and sisters, this is where we have to go. Now, so many things could be said about this. Uh, But let me just tell you this. One of the things that really causes me concern in our culture is that we learn to only listen to people we agree with. So if you're in ideology, if you're conservative, I'll only watch Fox News. And if I am not conservative, I will never watch Fox News. Maybe CNN, maybe Huffington Post, wherever you get it. But what happened, and that's made its way into the church as well. What happens is, as we only listen to people that we agree with, we become entrenched, and we often don't hear things we need to hear. Do you see that? If you had only listened to one another in that Pharisees group, you would be convinced that you're absolutely right, and you wouldn't know that God is doing enormous new things. We have to listen to one another. And one of the beauties, one of the beauties about the church that has come about because of this decision is that God has brought into one family such different people from such different backgrounds. And if we can just take time to actually listen to one another when there are times of conflict, we can stretch one another from that core that holds us together. So we have to listen to one another. Then, and those first three points Christian and non-Christian can do, but this is where it becomes distinctive to us as Jesus followers. They submitted the Scripture. They had disagreements, but then James, if you see in verses 16 to 18, opened up the prophets, and he specifically quoted the book of Amos. And this happens all the way through the book of Acts. He wanted to say, this this is where we're going, but we need to know that this is absolutely consistent with what God has revealed in His Word. I'm sure it took a long time to go through all those passages very clearly. Is that actually what God said? That someday the, the Gentiles would come in by faith and not by trying to keep the law themselves? And, and, and they, so they were guided by Scripture, so they searched Scripture together. Finally, they sought God in prayer. I love how verse 28 puts it. They came together. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. I love that phrase. Some of you have heard me say that a lot. When we have a tough decision, we've spent time in prayer, and we make a decision, it seems good to the Holy Spirit who dwells within us and to us in whom He dwells. And they were able to come up with a decision that has held the church together and that by God's grace will hold us together as well. So our time is gone, but what was that decision? The center here at Lake, what holds us together when we have so many differences and we could always be in conflict with one another? What holds us together? Let me tell you a little bit if you're new to the church, what kind of a place a church is. One of my mentors was Dr. Paul Hebert. Many of you know him well. 
uh, he talked about different kinds of organizations. And he used this model, and I think we have a picture of it here, uh, of a bounded set versus a centered set. A bounded set is where you have a certain set, pretty big list of things, and everybody can come in, but they have to become just like you. Uh, that, that's what the Pharisees wanted to have. Here are the 613 laws. If you'll keep all of them and come in, committed, come just like us, then, then you can be in. Um, that, that would be like soccer teams in the World Cup. Uh, you've got, here's the bounded set. You've, you've got to be from a certain country to be on this team. You have to be a soccer player to be on this team. Probably you have to say football instead of soccer. You have to be a good soccer player to be on this team. It's a bounded set. Soccer teams are bounded sets. But a centered set has just a few things that are right at the very heart. And, and what you do is you go out and call people to follow that same Jesus and they become a part of that center. So what was in the center? In this particular problem, they identified at least three things, and I'll just give it to you, because I want to make sure these three things are at the center of what holds us together as well. All of them are related to the good news, the gospel. Number one, Peter talked about, we hold together a salvation, a rescue, that we have received from God. It's by grace, and it's through faith in Jesus. What holds us together is that we follow the Savior Jesus. He's the Savior of our lives and He's the Lord of this church. So that, so that Peter in, in verses 9 and 11 would say, all this, Samaritan, Gentile, Jew coming into one family, it's God's doing. Because He made no distinction between us, Jewish people, and them, the Gentile people. He cleansed their hearts by faith. We believe we are saved through the grace of our Lord Jesus. He's, you can almost hear Him say, don't you believe that? That you wouldn't even be in apart from God's grace and mercy? We believe that, he said, just as they are. You see, the, whole, the point is that nobody was able to keep God's laws perfectly. We, we needed God to just reach out and love us, show mercy and grace to us. So we, that holds us together. Just look around you. There, there are people here who have desperately needed the mercy of God. Amen. <laughs> We've fallen short of what God wanted us to be, and He loved us with an everlasting love anyway, and so we've been rescued by faith in Jesus. Okay, that holds us together too. We also are held together by the spiritual realities we share, and, and particularly one experience, and that is that we are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. We have, we have an, a life to God. God gives Himself to us. Um, we've been born again so that we call God our Father. So that's what I was pointing out. When, when the Jews believed in Jesus, they received the Holy Spirit. When the Samaritans believed in Jesus, they received the Holy Spirit. God made himself known through the Spirit. When the Gentiles believed in Jesus, they received the Holy Spirit. All of them, they're all, we're all in. We share that, that God dwells in us. Does that change the way you look at one another in a church? I mean, we see the things. We see different skin colors. We see different age, different levels of education. But I hope that when we see one another, what we see is, ah, there's a person in whom God himself dwells. That person must have great value. <laughs> and we see other people as potential recipients of God's spirit and salvation. And, and, and Peter makes this point so, so strongly that when that happens, then the experience of having burdens lifted is what we all experience. Did you notice how he put it in verse 8? Uh, verse 10, verse 10. Why are you putting God to the test, he said to the Pharisees, by placing a yoke on the neck of, the, of these Gentile disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? Do you see what he's saying? He said, we've never been able to keep all those laws. 
We've all fallen short. Why are we trying to make them do it when God's already done it for us? So when you receive Jesus and you know you, it's all by His grace and it's what He has done for us, that it's a gift, what burdens are taken away? I'll tell you, burdens of the guilt of the past. Have you experienced that? Something in your past that you wonder, will that ever be forgiven? Would God ever accept me? Will anybody? And he says, it's gone. You're my child with an everlasting love. I love you. That's freedom from that burden of guilt and shame that's so destructive of our lives. Uh, Another one, the burden of perfectionism. Any of you ever borne that burden? Uh, My mom loved Jesus and she's gone home to be with the Lord. She'll forgive me when I see her someday. I think she will. Um, but she really wanted me to be quite perfect. Um, when we moved to a, to a different town, I went to a, there was a test that I had to take with several hundred other students in the new school. And I did well. I got the second highest grade. I was so, so proud. I went home. I said, Mom, I got the second highest grade out of hundreds of students. I was, I was pretty happy. And she said, why not the highest? Oh! <laughs> Any of you ever, if you can't live up to those expectations, which we can't, we can't always be perfect. How, there's no way we could live up to God's expectations. We can't live up to our own. That's a burden. He set us free from that. One person lived the life we should have lived. That's Jesus. He died the death we should have to die because we haven't lived that life and says, you are mine. It's through what I have done. I give you salvation and rescue. It's burden set free. So that holds us together. I could say many more. All I want you to know is when you come to church, it's, it's that experience of the reality and life of God that knits God's people together. Amen? Amen. And, and then the last thing that holds us together in our church here is what I've already mentioned. It's that we follow this word. There's still going to be thorny issues you have to wrestle with. And sometimes, how do you sort through them? What they did was that they took out this word. You could see he pulled out the prophets. And they took time with it. They talked about it. They listened to one another. They thought about how should it be applied. And they were guided through this challenging time. James would say this, this is consistent with what God said would happen. So even though it means change and different from what you had expected before, let us trust God on this matter. And because they made that decision, we can have a church like this where people come from every nation of the world and aren't there going to be some very different things here in Southern California? than some of you would experience in Egypt or, or in the Philippines or the many places where people in, uh, here at Lake Avenue Church have, have come from. And yet what knits us together is when this word is opened and Jesus proclaimed, that's our Savior and this is our Father's word. I hear this all the time from people. They came in to the church, wondered if they'd feel at home. When this word was opened, uh, then they knew that their Father and our Father was speaking. See, that, that's the center. That's the center. Uh, a place where people can experience the grace of God through Jesus. A place where we can come alive to God knowing Him as our Father. And a place where we have surrendered to His Word because He is the one who loves us with an everlasting love. Uh, James gave them, I, I'm sure you saw, two requests at the end. I'll come back to those. Very hard. He, he told them to stay away from worshiping idols through the eating thing and, and from sexual immorality. I'll, I'll come back to those at a t- time. The other thing you'll see at the end of the chapter, uh, th- there was a break, a conflict between Paul and Barnabas and Mark. Do you, do you know that one? 
Does that disappoint you? What do you say about these mature brothers in Christ who couldn't get along? Why are you surprised? (laughs) That's how we are. And yet, in the midst of that conflict at the Jerusalem Council, our brothers and sisters sought the Lord together, made it possible for the gospel to break forth. And, And it did. It broke forth into Europe. Broke forth down into Africa. Broke forth through Thomas, the apostle, down into India. Broke forth into Asia. Even made it Southern California. Through conflict, because of conflict. So I know that when you think of conflict, you usually think of words like um, anxiety, frustration, or even fear. I want you to think of it as opportunity. Opportunity to seek God, depend upon Him. Uh, Opportunity for you to know Him better. Uh, Opportunity for you to draw closer to people that you otherwise might be distant from. And I think thereby, with His help, His guidance, we will bring glory through our unity into this broken and divided world. May it happen. To his glory. Amen. Amen.